Hello and welcome to Fertility Springboard, the podcast series brought to you by Fertility Help Hub. I'm Eloise, founder of Fertility Help Hub, and over the series I will be bringing you conversations with some of the most influential and inspiring professionals and experts around the world to arm you with useful and empowering thoughts and resources to ease your fertility journey. And don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to make sure you don't miss out on anything. It's packed full of inspiring interviews, resources, discounts and offers, competitions and real life stories. Hello, welcoming my guest today, Charlotte Gran from The Fertility Kitchen. Welcome, Charlotte. How are you? Hi, I'm really good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Lovely to be speaking to you. We recently did a live together and it was very popular. So that we, we felt that it was worth having a proper chat and um, going through some of the commonly asked questions around fertility and nutrition. So would you mind just telling everyone listening a bit about you, um, why and how you set up the Fertility Kitchen and about your route to motherhood? Sure. Okay. So I'll start with my fertility story, which goes back quite a few years now, but I got married in 2007 and we started trying pretty quickly because we've been together for quite a long time. So we started trying in 2008 and I was 26 at the time and nothing happened. So, you know, trying for a few months, six months, 12 months, went to the GP and obviously went on through all the usual tests that they offer. So I had my hormones checked. Everything was okay. Um, we had the semen analysis. That was okay. Then I had a lap- laparoscopy and hysteroscopy and that was all okay. So from that, we got diagnosed with unexplained infertility and we were referred for IVF. Being told that you have unexplained infertility must be so irritating and heartbreaking because what do you do with that diagnosis? Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, excuse my language, but it's a bullshit diagnosis because it isn't really a diagnosis. It, it really should be, you know, we don't yet know the problem because there obviously is an issue. They just don't know what it is. And, and unfortunately, the, the tests that um, are, we're offered just they just can't explore everything that it could possibly be you know it's very much focused on the reproductive system and there could be things that are going on outside of that that can then have a knock-on effect on fertility absolutely so yeah so it was a massive shock um I, I didn't know a whole lot back then obviously about infertility and IVF and that whole world so to be told that the IVF was the only option was, was just frankly like scary and wasn't something that I really wanted to do. Um, I kind of thought that they would offer me um, IUI maybe or something else first, but no, they said that, you know, the research suggests that unexplained infertility, that the best results are going to come from IVF. So, and actually at the time I was 29 by this point, so we've been trying for three years and the, the guidelines for getting private funding on the NHS were you had to be 30. And because we'd been trying so long, we just did not want to wait another six months till I turned 30 because when you get to the point of being referred for IVF, the last thing you want is another six months wait. Totally. Yeah. So um, luckily we were able to go private. So we, we went private um, and, also, you know, because I was young and, there wasn't a whole lot going on 
um, I had quite a low dose of drug, like the very the lowest dose that you could have. Um, I got, I, if memory serves me correctly, I got around nine eggs. And from that, we had three embryos. And probably had I been going through IVF with all the knowledge that I have now, I might have been disappointed with three embryos. But back then, I was absolutely over the moon. Um, and because we only had the three, they put two back on day um, three. And we were very lucky to be successful. And I was pregnant with my son, George, from that round. Wow. And that's amazing to have a success from day three, because I didn't from a day three. And um, people, I don't know why, but people nowadays, don't they, um, get very sort of caught up in wanting blastocysts rather than transfers on day three? Yeah. And, and I, yeah, exactly. And I do understand why people want that. But when you have a low number of embryos, there's obviously no, there's no need to culture them on for quality purposes to, you know, because if you have say 10, then they can culture them on to day five or day six. And then they'll, they might have a clear idea of what are the better quality ones. Whereas yeah. if you've only got two or three, there's no, there's no benefit to then culture them on. So you might as well have them put back you know, in, in your environment, I guess that's going to be the most, uh, the best environment for them. Exactly. So, so yeah, so, but yeah, having, then when I went through later rounds for our second son, obviously I was much more concerned about blastocyst and, and, and things like that. But at that point I was just over the moon. And, and when we had the two put back and they said they'll culture the third one on today, um, sixth, and they phoned me the next day and, and they, that was good enough for freezing. So, I was really thrilled and obviously overall we we had the best success that you can get from an IVF cycle. So was the third um was the third embryo your second son? No, sadly not. No. So um I I hoped that that would be it be done and dusted. Um but no the the journey to to Alex was a little bit trickier. So um but I think there's so many reasons behind that so it wasn't I, when I had the second um, transfers and things, I just wasn't in the right place physically and emotionally, etc. So I think that would have had an impact on on the success. So, um, so yeah, it was we'd started trying quite quickly when George was about nine months. We thought, let's just crack on because we don't want a huge age gap, as as most people don't. They kind of want to have as you know a short age gap you kind of have this ideal in your mind when you first start trying don't you that well one you the very first time you start trying you think that you can choose what month the baby's going to be exactly exactly I know and then you learn but you know you'd want a September October baby and then oh I'll have a nice two-year age gap etc but anyway like that yeah exactly you want that that would be the ideal but um so we started trying at nine months and we wanted to give it a good go uh, of trying naturally again. And so we gave it a year and nothing. So then we went back for a frozen transfer. And because my cycle was textbook, like 28 days, bang on day 14 ovulation, we decided to go for it with a natural cycle. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't tell my clinic was that I was still breastfeeding my son, George. So it wasn't necessarily the best thing to do, but when you get a thought in your head and decide that you're going to go ahead with it, there's nothing that's going to stop you. Do you so, think that your clinic would have advised you not to have done that natural cycle if they'd known you were breastfeeding? 
Yeah, yeah, they would have told you, they wouldn't have wanted you to be breastfeeding for natural or, um, or with drugs either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not ideal because obviously it affects the, the balance of your hormones. So it raises prolactin, which um, then dampens fertility. So, so, you know, that wasn't ideal. And actually I started bleeding before my period was due and that would just never happen for me. I'd never bleed early. So that kind of proved that it wasn't the right time. Um, So did you feel upset as though you had kind of wasted that embryo? No, not really. I mean, George, although he was breastfeeding, he wasn't breastfeeding um, low. Yeah. It was more of like, night time the odd feed so yeah um so no but probably now I think you, you idiot you shouldn't have done that but that's the benefit of hindsight and I think you know when you're on yeah and when you're when you're in that sort of crazy wanting to have a baby mindset nothing really stands in your way does it no no I totally agree you just want to go all guns blazing and and do it don't you exactly so so from that we so we had that was negative and then we decided to go straight for a fresh cycle um and i worked really hard to get george um not to be feeding anymore but he was still feeding very minimally um but of course i didn't really want him taking on any of the ivf drugs through my Mm -hmm. um, milk anyway so worked hard to sort of stop that had a fresh cycle and in, in terms of comparing the two cycles I mean they put me on a higher dose drug but I had way more follicles and way more embryos so I must have had about 14 or something like that so it was quite good and I had uh, day five I had two put back on day five but the quality wasn't great because they said to me I think the embryologist said something like oh, you, you can have two put back rather than, you know, they normally try and stop you from having two put back. Yeah. And they showed me this chart and I was really cross actually because it really affected my mindset. So they showed me this chart of all the different qualities and they said, this is where we want them to be and this is where yours are and mine were like three rows behind. Oh, so where so you're in this mindset of, well, this is not going to work. Yeah, well, I just didn't want to know that. I feel like at that point, you just don't need that information. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know some people like to have as much information as possible. But for me, I, I just came out of that feeling a bit like, oh, you know, I was still positive, but I felt a bit upset that they t- told me that. Maybe they so, were trying to manage your expectations for a positive result. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But I just don't think it's, well, it, for me, it wasn't helpful. But anyway, Definitely. the next day I had a phone call. So they were going to culture them on again, the, the remaining ones. And they cultured them on and they just said they're not good enough. And we're just going to discard them all. My so, gosh. yeah, and I remember getting that phone call and I was, I was going for acupuncture, actually. And I was in the loo at the time. And I remember just putting the phone down and crying because... It was a big blow because I thought, well, if this doesn't work, that's it. We've got to start all over again. Um, you got that news during your two-week wait? Yeah, so on day six. So they, I had the transfer on day five, and then they phoned me on day six and said um, the rest of them weren't good enough. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. Because then, you're, as you said, you're just thinking, well, if this doesn't work, we're, we're going to have to start again. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just about the emotional side, it's the finances as well. And thinking, exactly. I've got to start all over again, because um, you're back to zero, basically. And, and I was just upset that they discarded all that many embryos, because 
you do hear stories of people having not so good quality embryos that then are successful and then whereas they hadn't been successful on their you know top embryos totally so what happened next so what happened next was I got pregnant um so I took my pregnancy test on the Friday and it was a day early so I, I phoned the clinic that day and I said it's positive and they said well that's good but you're not supposed to test till tomorrow so test again and let us know so I tested the next day and it was a tiny bit fainter than the day before. And obviously we scrutinize these things, don't we? So, yeah, yeah. so I was looking at them side by side and I wasn't really happy about that. And then my friend had done a clear blue. So that I was cycling at the same time as a friend and she'd done a clear blue um, digital one that tells you how many weeks you are. So I did one of those and hers said three to four weeks and mine said two to three weeks. And that didn't sit well with me. I thought that's that's a concern because really my hormone level should be higher so that it says three to four weeks. So that was in the back of my mind. And then a couple of days later, I call it intuition. I just thought I'm not feeling right about this. So I went and bought another test, did that and it was negative. And then shortly afterwards, it, I started bleeding and it's almost like my brain realized the truth and then think you know then my body kind of started to release things so it I started bleeding and that was a chemical pregnancy so that was really gutting and not what I expected at all because obviously I'd had a success and a fairly easy time of it to conceive George yeah so um, having you know once I got pregnant I kind of thought this is it la di da you know off we go and I remember putting all the dates, the due dates in, in the apps and stuff on my phone. And then, then, I had, then I went through the chemical and then like a week later, I got, congratulations, you're five weeks pregnant or something. And I was just like... Oh no, from the apps? Yeah, from the app. Oh gosh. And so, so yeah. what, what, did you have to do another round after that? Yeah, so we decided we wanted to go again straight away. And we ra- waited for three months just to regulate everything. And I think by this point, I totally got George off breastfeeding, stopped that and went through another fresh cycle. And again, got lots of embryos and had a day five transfer, had two put back. And the embryologist that time said, you've got a 50% chance. So um, was that higher than before? I'm sure. Yeah, I I think that it might have been 30% the time before. So um, so I, I was quite pleased with 50-50. Off I went. Then I got the call on the day six to say, no, they're not good enough. So they discarded all the embryos again. No way. And I, yeah. And that must have been another 10 or so. Oh. So that was gutting again. But this time I got pregnant and Alex was born. So... But not twins with the two put back. Not twins, no, just just Alex. So out of three fresh transfers, I've had six fresh embryos returned and I've got, got two children out of that, yeah. um, which I think is quite high odds really. But yeah, never, I never got twins. Gosh, that, that's such a roller coaster to have that chemical pregnancy in the middle, isn't it? And also as a, a twice to be to have a call saying, I'm sorry, but none of the other embryos have made it because then you're, as you said, going through this two week wait, thinking, what are we going to do next? Yeah, 
exactly back to square one and, and we would have had to wait much longer than the three months had that's the final cycle not worked obviously just to replenish funds etc so how did this lead you on to create the wonderful fertility kitchen okay so just through my journey i started to make lots of changes um to my lifestyle so the first thing i did was start exploring um acupuncture and I, I, at the time I was working in fashion, so I was a buyer for a high street retailer and it was a very stressful job. So long, really long hours, um, lots of stress, lots of travel and things like that. So I thought, well, I'll go and have acupuncture for stress and it might help with fertility. So I went along to that and at the time, the only issue I had with my periods was really painful. So every month, like the first day or two was just agonizing and I didn't really dwell on that too much in terms of acupuncture. I didn't really think about that potentially having an impact, but I had two or three sessions of acupuncture. And then the next, uh, the next time I had my period, it was completely pain-free. And that was a bit of a revelation because I'd had, you know, several years of, of really painful periods. So to go just to have some needles and then to be pain-free was amazing. So from that, I just started to explore acupuncture found it really interesting it really resonated and I found it quite logical and I'd started to think about how when I did have children I wanted to sort of bring them up and how I wanted to where I wanted to work and things like that and I thought I just don't want to stay in this buying world because it's really long hours I've never seen my children so I'd started to think about alternative careers and I'd been chatting to my acupuncturist and he said go on you should really go for it you'd be great and the college was actually around the corner from my office. So I thought, well, I'll just go along to an open evening. So I went along and it was a degree, but they offered a weekend course and a weekday course. And the evening was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought, oh, I'll just apply, see what happens. So I applied for the weekend course and then I got on the course. I went and had an interview, got on the course and thought, well, I'll just go for it. And because it's weekends, I'll do it as well as my job. So... I did that for about a year and meanwhile I was having going through IVF as well and then it came to the second year and I thought well it's now or never because obviously with a degree you need to really focus in the second and third years if because that's what's going to contribute to your final grade and chatted everything through my husband and I thought I'm just going to take the leap I really love acupuncture I'm going to do it so I left my job and studied full-time meanwhile having IVF and then I got pregnant with George at the time as well so I went through the second year of college pregnant and then George was born a, a few days after my last exam in the second year and then I had about three three or four weeks off and then I went back for the third year wow I know it, I was crazy. <laughs> looking back I was probably a bit mental but my husband was so good and he used to bring George in every weekend so it was a really long day on a Saturday I'd be there like nine till seven and he George would never take a bottle so my husband would bring him in so he'd drive me to college and I'd feed him in the car then he'd come back at like mid-morning or lunchtime and I'd feed him and then I'd got an afternoon break and he'd come back as well what so, amazing teamwork I know I know it was brilliant so and it, 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 we just worked really well as a team. And then, and then during the week, I would study and, and look after George. So every time he went down for a nap, I'd just go straight into my office and study. And then 
as soon as I put him to bed in the evening, I'd go and study. And then weekends, my husband took over. So, so we did that. Um, and then I qualified and had George was a baby whilst I was doing clinic as well. So part of the qualification is six months in clinic. So I did that. And then just from the beginning, I knew I wanted to specialize in fertility. So um, everything, all the assignments I did throughout college, I really geared towards learning about fertility acupuncture and gynae stuff as well. So as soon as I qualified, I set up as a fertility acupuncturist. And, and then sort of meanwhile, still got carrying on with my journey. I just naturally started to explore other aspects of health and well-being. And I started to look at food. And um, it just led me to make sort of small changes in my diet, really. So um, I never really felt the need to, like everyone would always describe me as really healthy. Um, and I was always very slim. So I kind of considered myself to be really healthy, but in actuality, I was eating a standard Western diet. So I'd probably have something like cereal for breakfast and maybe a sandwich and a packet of crisps for lunch, maybe some sweets in the afternoon. And then um, I'd have a you know a home-cooked meal, but it would be pasta-based maybe with a few token veggies. So, you know, standard diet. Um, and I was a bit of a sugar monster. So I used to use sugar to kind of power me through the day at, at work and things like that. So the first thing I looked, I cut out was, was sugar. And I cut that out sort of in between having George and Alex. So that was kind of when I started to get into diet. And actually, it's really interesting because I ate sugar all the way through my pregnancy with George. And he is a real sugar monster as well. So he'll really favor sweet things. And whereas with Alex, I wasn't eating sugar in pregnancy. And he is far less sugar focused than George yeah that really showed me the power of nutrition in the preconception phase as well and during pregnancy as well so then I started to look at other things and I after having Alex I cut out dairy because I sort of read about links with dry skin and eczema and things and after about three months of not having dairy I noticed that I wasn't having to take my inhaler and prior to that I'd taken it every day since I was like five and that was really the kind of standout moment for me where I was like this is really powerful food is so powerful um so that really piqued my interest even further and I decided that I would head back to college again to study nutrition um, and I remember taking Alex I went to look at a college in London actually and Alex was about three or four months old and I put him in a little sling and off I went up to London and looked around a nutrition school there and um, it wasn't the one I went for in the end but you know, I was very focused because like once I get these ideas in my head, I'm off and I go for it. Mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah, so I was studying nutrition and I started to think about what more I could do to help empower other women and and really think about what I needed on my journey. Because there really was, a you know, there is a lack of resources out there. There's not a whole lot. I mean, there is some information, obviously, about fertility nutrition, but but there's no practical advice. I don't think nothing down to earth you know, this is what you need to eat. This is how you do it. This, these are the recipes you need to cook, that kind of thing. And I thought, yeah, that's what I would have wanted on my journey, a practical information and a really decent sort of cookbook. And I was pondering this in the middle of the night, just out of nowhere, the fertility kitchen popped into my head. And I thought that is a really great name for a, a nutrition business or a cookbook. It is a great name. Yeah. And so immediately in the night, I got my phone, looked it up, 
um, you know, to see if the domains were available and they were. And I looked up at, like the Instagram and the Facebook and everything and registered them there and then. And, and that was really it. That, that was the start of the fertility kitchen. And it, it sort of my guiding philosophy, philosophy and my vision for it is really built on, on the things that I needed when I was going through my journey. So it's built on food, fertility and life. And that really kind of guides everything I do, basically. So food is all about empowering women to understand nutrition and what they need to eat and also to provide um, really nutrient rich recipes that are supportive for fertility and then fertility is about empowering you to look beyond your reproductive system for answers and to consider all aspects of your health and how that could then be impacting your your reproduction and then life is based on building a fertility friendly lifestyle so it's all about learning um, how important lifestyle is and how it affects your fertility so things like stress and um, exercise and sleep and connection with others and detoxing your environment as well so just being mindful about environmental toxins so that all feeds into my um philosophy and it really just is about empowerment so if i could sum it up with one word that's what i would that's what i would choose it's a brilliant resource and you're right it is a combined holistic approach isn't it and that's what um I work hard with for Fertility Help Hub to bring people these kinds of resources where it's also like longer term rather than just for a short period of time, um, just to, you know, for to conception, like the diet, the dietary and lifestyle changes you're suggesting can live on, can't they, through pregnancy and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. And you can build on them and, and, you know, start making small changes and then, and, and build on them as you go. And, um, you know, I, I truly believe that if I'd have learned all of this prior to my journey, I would have conceived naturally because although I was sort of fit and healthy, there was so much going on behind the scenes that I have addressed. And actually, I did get pregnant a couple of years ago, naturally out of the blue. And it was a massive shock having spent five years trying for my sons to then get pregnant out of the blue. And I really do believe that it that the reason we got pregnant was because of um all the changes that I'd made to my diet and lifestyle over the years and sadly it didn't work out and I, I think it was probably you know chromosomal issue um but it was very I feel fortunate that I got pregnant because it one it kind of reaffirmed the lifestyle and the diet things and, and how powerful that is but also I I always wanted to experience that as we all do that what everyone else gets to experience and how it should be where you just don't even realize you're pregnant. And then I felt something was off and I did a test and it was negative. And then it, you know, a period of still wasn't arriving and I still felt a bit off and, and then did another test and it was positive. And that was really incredible. I feel like I've been robbed of that. Um, mm. And it, it sounds crazy to say, to say, doesn't it? But friends who have fallen pregnant naturally, even though we've been blessed with IVF having worked for us personally, I still feel like that kind of like fundamental um, happiness of seeing a pregnancy test, you know, spontaneously and not having even had to work for it or think about it um, and having done it naturally is something that it's it feels sad to have never experienced yeah absolutely and you know infertility never leaves you even when you have children Um, and even now i'm like when people get pregnant 
at lightning speed or out the blue or my mum tells me of a pregnancy announcement I'm just it really pisses me off for want of a better word I just I really don't like it um, I don't want to know about people getting pregnant to be honest even even now because yeah. I've just, had friends say to me we wish that it hadn't happened so quickly and I'm like think about your audience here yeah exactly um yeah I have no I know sorry but I have no sympathy for that so that's an amazing story and what a brilliant resource you can now offer people um and we did a live as I mentioned recently and we had lots of people asking about male fertility which is always something that needs more uh, more of a voice doesn't it because people do tend to often focus on the female side um so in terms of male fertility, uh, what would you say are kind of natural ways to increase male fertility uh, through nutrition? Well, I think it, it comes back down to the, the foundations of a decent diet. So, yes, there's always going to be things that come up in the press and things that say, oh, take, have this or this, this nutrient is really important. But that, in the context of, of your diet, if you continue with a a standard western diet and then take a token supplement that's really not gonna cut it so i think for both partners it's about really getting the foundations of good nutrition right really focusing on um eating an abundance of vegetables which will provide all those antioxidant nutrients which are important for sperm cell development and um for sperm health so i mean particular nutrients that, that they'd want to focus on would be vitamin a vitamin c vitamin e um zinc as well so zinc's probably you're going to get that more easily from um animal products but the rest of them really abundant in um vegetables and vitamin a as well actually that's that's very much exclusively animal products um but really then thinking about how you can make vegetables the the front and center of your plate and switch your thinking a bit because I think most people tend to make the, the, the grains and the pasta and things like that the star of the show and then they might have a few token veggies on the side and really it's about flipping that around and having an abundance of vegetables and having the grains or the legumes as as the token on the side and then things that specifically men can do so there is a study actually about um, nuts and including those in a western style diet so this this particular study looked at including them in so they didn't change anything else about the diet they just added in nuts and they added in 60 grams of raw mixed nuts a day and those were I think were almonds hazelnuts and walnuts and that had um, a significant um, improvement on total sperm count and quality vitality and motility as well so that is something that can be done but I still think that you should um, look at the foundations because that's going to have the most positive overall effect and yeah just things like watching caffeine consumption alcohol alcohol exactly so there was a study I think it was a fairly recent one that that said that both partners should be limiting to one drink per occasion and no more than four a week I think men could have slightly more um because obviously they they can um they process alcohol a little bit better than we do. Um, but it's still limiting to sort of a couple of drinks per occasion and then sticking to no more than four a week. But avoiding for best results. So, you know, I, I, do, I know it's hard, but I think if you're not hugely attached to alcohol, then avoiding is 
is probably the best way to go because then you don't have any questions to ask it like was it the alcohol well if you weren't drinking any you know it wasn't totally um, totally that's that was my kind of thinking on it that you don't want to look back and think was it that one drink i had was it you know making yourself feel bad that maybe it was something you did or didn't do um but what about other lifestyle aspects like- for men yeah i think that i think the research is not as strong for male fertility as female fertility but in general acupuncture is amazing for uh, supporting sleep which is going to help regulate hormones it's it's great for stress relief and lots of men are super stressed like well we all are aren't we so it's it's great for that and lifestyle factors then have an impact on your fertility um and and for men smoking as well definitely avoiding smoking is is 100 percent categoric and that's something that the research is consistent on um and obviously we need to think about scrotal temperature as well so um, most people realize that that's why the testicles hang outside the body is because they need to be a little bit cooler than the rest of the body. So supporting that by not wearing really tight underwear, which I guess we all know about. Hot baths. Hot baths. Yeah. The phone in the pocket and laptops because they get so hot on your lap. So it's just about maybe putting a pillow between your laptop and, and your lap. Um, and yeah, wearing the looser underwear. Uh, if you, if you're a, a proficient cyclist like you really cycle all the time then you might want to think about choosing other exercise or just you know limiting that because that can have an impact as well what are the most commonly asked questions and issues that your clients come to you with um well the sort of i would say the common issue that seems to be universal at least with all, all my current clients is that they are unsure about carbohydrates and they tend to eat too much of the wrong types and so consequently their diets are quite high in sugar and I think I think it is a, an issue for everyone sugar um, and I think we simply don't have the awareness of, of how much we're eating and what what is in the, the foods that we're eating so something that people often have to eat as a snack because they think it's healthier is raisins and dried fruit no it but well because your body doesn't really distinguish so everything it's breaking down to glucose so even with dried fruit it's breaking it down to the same constituents so um so dried fruit is extremely concentrated in sugar because what what it's doing is it's it's um it's concentrating that sugar so a snack sized box of raisins has about 29 grams of sugar in it it's equivalent to seven more than seven teaspoons wow um, i didn't know that no and most people don't realize it so it's it's often something that people give to children as a healthy snack and that's going to obliterate their sugar intake um in one swoop absolutely absolutely yeah Gosh. So, and what about caffeine people often ask what is a kind of okay amount on a day yeah. when you're trying to conceive so Caffeine consumption, so you want, so more than a 500 milligrams a day has been linked with fertility issues in both partners. So you want to be going for something around 200 milligrams a day, which would be a large mug of coffee. And I would just suggest that you make that, maybe have it earlier in the day, obviously, because it can impact your sleep. And just make it the best quality coffee you can buy. You know, go for a nice organic one and really just enjoy it and 
pay attention to any symptoms. So if you're noticing that you're experiencing like headaches and jitters, or maybe you're a bit anxious, then around that, it, it could be linked to that caffeine. So if you're noticing things like that, then it's probably best avoided. My demon is um, Diet Coke. And I found it really hard not to drink that whilst I was trying to conceive. I think yeah. is that a big no-no? Yeah, sadly, it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Well, it's full of um, artificial sweeteners. Um, and they'll, you know, they're, they're, there's zero nutrition there. And artificial, artificial sweeteners, so this applies to to sugar-free squash as well. Um, they've been linked with fertility issues. I mean, the research is sort of a bit unclear, but it's not ideal. You know, you're not getting anything from drinking that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes habit, doesn't it? And it feels like a treat. Um, and so yeah. it's sometimes hard to break those habits. But I guess with focus and with, um, you know, an end goal of um, hopefully um, a baby, um, that can bring focus, can't it? Yeah, it can. And I think it's about trying to flip your thinking about other things that you can enjoy. Um, and rather than thinking about, oh, I can't have that it's like think that you're you're actually I can have that but I'm choosing to have something else and then look for other ways that you can enjoy so some people just don't like plain water and I can understand that so maybe it's that you buy some um, sparkling water and you infuse it with some fruit so you could put sliced strawberries in it or you could go for something like um, cucumber and lemon and lime and just really make it quite a refreshing drink and and then you'll get some healthy vitamins from the from the fruit as well. So uh, vitamin water is the first thing that I would have a go at trying. And then the other thing is cold infused tea. So you can get that in the supermarket. So Twinings do a cold infusion and you can get um, different flavours. So if you prefer like a more of a berry one, if you're used to having sort of sweet berry squashes, then that might be one that you could try. Or um, if you want something more refreshing, then they do lemon and lime. So it's just thinking about other things that you can have and also I find if you know and understand why something is bad for you and your fertility I think that helps then motivate you not to have it definitely definitely it's kind of the education around it isn't it and then thinking of alternatives that could give you the same kind of satisfaction yeah and it's definitely about flipping the thinking and just just choosing not to have something rather than saying that's restricted I can't have that I had the most delicious breakfast this morning. I had like corn cakes with, um, I think, almond butter on yeah. uh, with sliced banana. And it was delicious. Oh, that sounds nice. Now, you're probably thinking that's got loads of sugar in it. <laughs> but um, it felt like a treat without, you know, having full on toast and butter and Marmite yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And, and actually... With, with the whole bread thing and the toast and that, I really love, and this might sound a bit weird, but you have to try it because it's delicious, is um, sweet potato. So you get a massive sweet potato and slice it thinly. So it's as if you were going to slice it in half. So, so slice it in half and then, and then slice another slice, like about a centimetre or less. That can be toasted. And then you can have a poached egg on the top, say, that sounds um, delicious. Yeah, it's really good because when you, to- I mean, you have to toast it for a bit longer than you would normal toast, but just keep toasting it and then until it's nice and squishy. So and do then- you have to boil it first? No, just because if you slice it thinly enough, it'll cook in the toaster. 
Oh, I'm definitely going to try that. What an inspiration. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. And the other thing you can do is just, if you don't, if that doesn't work for you, then you can just do the slices and, and bake them in the oven. Just put a bit of coconut oil on and, and then you can use it as your bread for an egg. So that's, that's what I love to do. Any um, other tips or tricks for making something delicious with healthy ingredients that might make you feel like you're having something indulgent? Um, What's like a sweet treat or anything? Both, I guess. Just, yeah, anything that you find people I, really love about your recipes. I think you need to make things delicious. So vegetables, obviously, if you boil some vegetables, they're going to be pretty grim. Um, so it's really about having a, eating a variety. So you want to have some, maybe some raw and then some um, steamed or, or sautéed or baked in the oven and just making the most of nature's flavors so you've got you know salt and pepper um fresh turmeric fresh ginger i really love garlic salt at the moment and i just cube up a sweet potato and i put a little bit of coconut oil in the oven that comes out and then i toss the sweet potato in it and then i just put quite a bit of garlic salt on the top and that is really delicious gives it a lovely flavor and it's just quick and easy because if you cube up the sweet potato fairly small like a one centimeter dice then that's only going to take about 15-20 minutes to cook and so while that's in the oven you can just um you know poach an egg or make some salad so I have that quite a lot lately with salad um and then just fats will really make veggies taste good so it's about using butter to, to saute veg or using some coconut oil or ghee as well that can be that can be nice um Sprink, it's drizzling your salad with some nice extra virgin olive oil or some avocado oil, um, having olives as well. Um, so I quite really, like paprika as well. On um, yes, yeah, that's really nice. If you you can sprinkle that on your sweet potato as well, and also butternut squash. So any kind of herbs and spices, just just toss them in oil and then sprinkle them with, with some nice whatever herbs and spices you like, and that really does. Um, taste gorgeous and um, and then sweet treat wise just make sure you're looking at your recipe so if you if you have a favorite recipe just watch the sugar content and think okay well it's got 100 grams of sugar in I'm going to take that right back down to 20 grams and that will still taste sweet and then you can maybe take out some of the flour and replace that with some um, ground almonds or some ground walnuts and just think about how you can increase the nutrient density of everything you're eating. So that's kind of my number one sort of food philosophy is really going for nutrient density. And that's the way that you do it. It's just everything you're eating. How can I make this more nutritious and what could I have instead? So if you're normally having a plate of spaghetti, then just have a plate of um, courgette noodles with your bolognese or your, or your, um, chili you could serve that with some spicy cauliflower rice so you just great literally grate a cauliflower saute it in a bit of butter and and um with some garlic and then sprinkle over some spices that you like and then serve that you can serve that with curry you can serve that with with chili so it's about replacing less nutritious things with more nutritious things Absolutely. And talking about fertility foods, um, you know, lots of people will have heard of things like pomegranates and pineapples and mm. um, turmeric being good things for fertility. Do you think that there is evidence for that? Well, I no. 
<laughs> not really. So what you really want to focus on, uh, so my top five fertility superfoods. So number one is probably liver. And that might be a shock for people. They might think, oh, that's really gross. I could never eat it. But it's known as nature's multivitamin. That's its sort of nickname. It's full of vitamin A, vitamin K2, iron, folate, other B vitamins, choline. So often some of these, so vitamin A in particular, choline, very difficult to get from plants. Um, K2 as well. And you can add it. So you only need to eat it maybe once a week. And you can just add it to... Um, say if you're having a bolognese or you make beef burgers or something like that or or even a curry um so what i would do is get some chicken liver and make sure it's organic and freeze it and chicken is going to be the mildest flavor out of all the different animals that you can get so freeze it when you get home and then grate it take it out the freezer cold and just grate it directly into a dish that you're cooking so just a few minutes before the end because it will cook really quickly and by freezing it, you don't have to deal with that sort of icky kind of squidgy liver. So it's not, it's frozen, quickly grate it in, mix it in, and you won't even know it's in there. Yeah, so that's a great way of doing it. Um, if you're not fancying eating a plate of liver, which I know most people don't. Um, and, and that's a good one to have, especially around your period, because it's very rich in iron. And obviously you're going to be losing iron around your period. Could you make it into a pate? Yes, you can do that as well. Yeah, so if you like pate, you can definitely make a pate. And that's really nice. Um, so oily fish is really important because it contains DHA. And that's, um, it's one of the only, well, the top source of DHA. And that's really important for fetal brain development. And it's also important for all your cell membranes and for maternal mental health as well. So during pregnancy, if you're not eating enough omega-3 from your diet so this is oily fish you um the fetus will start drawing it from your brain as well so I, th I really do think that's where the baby brain thing comes from because um i think there's been studies where they showed that women's brains actually shrink during pregnancy if they don't eat enough really and can you overdose on oily fish um well the, the issue with it is the the oily fish can be higher in mercury so but nature's so clever because it's also rich in selenium and that helps to um sort of detoxify the, the mercury so but you just want to avoid the larger species so king mackerel and tuna and things like that so tuna i would maybe have like every few weeks but oily fish you can have three portions a week Okay. okay. Um, and that would be things like trout, um, salmon, mackerel, sardines. Not so much the white fish. No, well, white fish is great. It's full of nutrition, but it doesn't have those fats in it. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and that's what's food number three? Eggs. So eggs are really rich in choline. So liver and eggs are the top sources of choline. And, that, and choline, it doesn't get as much, as much press as folate, but it is, it's sort of as important as folate for fetal development. I think egg eaters have twice the amount of, of choline than non-egg non eaters. Can you overdose on eggs? I don't think so. I mean, you can safely, happily eat a couple of eggs a day. 
I um, have as a snack with some salt. Yeah, perfect. Apple, I mean, uh, it's a great snack because it's no carbohydrates. It's just protein and fat. Mm-hmm. And then leafy greens as well. Really, really good for you. Full of folate, iron, calcium, magnesium, lots of fiber. So really prioritize the greens. So vegetables are massively important. And out of the, you know, if you can then prioritize even further, I would say go for your leafy greens because they are um, really super and finally, bone broth is great. So bone broth is really rich in glycine, and that's an amino acid that is not one of the essential amino acids, but it's, it's conditionally essential. And what that means is that when you get pregnant, you do need to get it from your diet. So bone broth is one of the, the sources. So that's you know, stock made from chicken or, or beef or fish. Um, and can people buy that ready-made rather than having to make it themselves? Yes. Yeah, you can. It's expensive for what it is because, I mean, if you regularly have a, a roast chicken on a Sunday, then if you can be bothered, it's a good idea to make your stock. And it is easy to make, but it does take a bit of time because you need to boil it up for a, like all day long. What do you do? Boil the bones? Yeah. So with the, with the carcass, you put it in a big stock pot with veggies and water and some um herbs and then you just boil it up or keep it on a gentle simmer all day long and but you need to sort of regularly skim off the scum that comes to the top and then i mean ideally what you could do is turn it off overnight and then turn it back on again in the morning and have it on all day again because the longer you you do it for the more goodness comes out of the bones mm-hmm. and and then at the end of it all you um, drain it and then that's the stock that you you then drink um, and you can use it in soup you can use it in stew you could use it in curry you could add it to bolognese or, or chili anything like that or you can drink it so you could have that as a cup and I quite like to add some fresh turmeric and some um, ginger and then it's quite a nice drink is that different to miso soup Yes. Yeah. So miso soup is, um, yeah, it's soy and it's like a Japanese soup. So that's lovely, but it's not the same as the bone broth, but you Uh can make that with bone broth. Okay. Cause I I quite like them as, um, drinks too, especially if it's like a wintry cold day, it's quite warm. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's it's no different really to drinking a cup of soup. Um, but some people do get a bit funny about I don't know, maybe it's the thought of it, just of the thought of drinking a cup of bone broth. But if you, so if you're, if that's you, then I would just make a soup out of it because yeah. you put, you put chicken stock in the soup anyway. So yeah. you can buy it though. So places like Riverford and Abel and Cole and Planet Organic. Yeah. All those kind of places would sell it, but it, you're looking at about six pounds for 500 mil. Wow. That is expensive. It is expensive. And, and you can go to the butcher and get they they would give they might give you the carcass or they might just charge you a couple of pounds but you can go and buy carcasses from the butchers as well um and when you think of it in that way if you're drinking a cup of bone broth every day it's it's going to get really pricey if you're going to buy it definitely oh well thank you for sharing that that is such a good idea um you're welcome (laughs) you're making me feel hungry now um (laughs) and um lastly just to finish off with um what about people who have got PCOS and they're trying to regulate ovulation? Yeah, so with that, sadly, it's going to have to be really, really getting tight on how much sugar you're eating. So really 
watching that. The problem with PCOS is that you can have um, insulin resistance with that. And that is what then causes an issue for fertility. So, so I'll take you through the basics of blood sugar balance. So, so your, if you have elevated blood sugar, it's, it's damaging to your organs and your tissues. So what your body does is it, it wants to bring that right back down to a healthy range. So if you eat something that's rich in sugar um, or simple carbohydrates, then your body will release insulin, which opens cell membranes to allow the sugar to come out of your bloodstream and into your cells. So it's basically knocking on the door of your cells and asking them to open and let the sugar in. And the more sugar or simple carbohydrates you eat in a meal, the more insulin your body needs to, to deal with that high blood sugar. And insulin's really effective. It, it, it's really good at its job. So what can happen is it can, it can overcorrect blood sugar and allows it to drop too low. And that would t tend to happen if you eat something really high in sugar. Um, and that can result in uncomfortable symptoms. So say you have quite a, a simple carbohydrate rich breakfast like cereal. And then mid-morning, you might notice that you're getting a bit irritable or dizzy or you're feeling tired. So you might have an energy slump. And also you'll be getting some sugar cravings and you'll want to be seeking out something carb-rich to bring that blood sugar back up. So that's at the point in mid-morning when people will reach for a biscuit or they'll have a piece of toast or something like that. And then that means that people can be stuck in that roller coaster all day. So they've got that vicious cycle of constantly spiking and dropping their blood sugar throughout the day. And then um, your body has to continually produce insulin to manage that sugar consumption. So when you've got that elevated insulin circulating in the blood all the time, your cells start to become less sensitive to that insulin. So they don't quite do what they're supposed to do. And then your body has to produce more and more to get the same blood sugar lowering effect. And that's what's called insulin resistance. So that, that can be an issue for fertility where um, too much circulating insulin can, can um, impact the ovaries and alter their hormone production, which can disrupt ovulation and can also lead to an overproduction of male hormones, which we do see in PCOS. So your, your main takeaway for that is to look at the sugar intake you're having. Try and focus on meal balance. So the main takeaway is to really think about having, again, that front and center of your plate being vegetables. So half your plate or more vegetables, so non-starchy vegetables. So that's your green vegetables, um, your bright colors, etc. So that wants to be your main plate, the bulk. And that can be quite a, a shock for people because people struggle to eat five a day. And, and part of their five a day would probably include fruit as well. So they might be eating two or three portions of veg a day. And I'm, I'm say, saying that maybe try and get that up to eight vegetables. So if you were to do that, you'd be maybe looking at having two with breakfast, three with lunch and three with dinner. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be a massive change for people. So slowly does it, maybe just adding one extra veg in e at each meal. And then at the same time, just looking at your proportion of, of, of other foods on your plate so your starchy carbohydrates which are um, your whole grains and your legumes you want to be making them more of a um, a side portion so if you use cups which I would recommend everyone use cups for cooking because they're so easy but a half a cup would be about how much starchy carb you want on there and that would also include the sweet like root vegetables so sweet potato and squash 
So you might have half a cup of that and then a palm sized portion of, of protein as well. And then making sure that you're then dressing your veg with some healthy fats. You might have some avocado, you might have used some um, coconut oil to saute or, and, it, and, and, and then that, as you start to work towards that balance, that is going to help keep your blood sugar level much more stable. Totally, totally. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing, Charlotte. You're welcome. And to finish, what's next for the Fertility Kitchen? Well, it's, it's quite exciting at the moment. So I'm, um, I'm writing a cookbook at the moment. And it's a fertility nutrition cookbook. So it's a book of two halves. And the first half is very much um, based on fertility nutrition information. So it's kind of like the book that I needed on my journey. So I'm writing that book. And so it will take you through all the basics, making sure that you've got those foundations in place. It will teach you how to build a perfect plate. So that's all part of the food section. And then I'll take you through the, the fertility section. So I'll go through... Um, all the different areas of your health that can impact your fertility. And then I also talk about your lifestyle as well. And then the other half of the book is purely dedicated to the recipes and it's all about the food. And my, my hope is that I can show you that eating for your fertility is just beyond delicious. Um, and it's not about restriction. It's about nourishment. It's about making the most of nature's superfoods and there'll be, you know, breakfast, light dishes, soups, um, mains and all of those recipes will have as much nutrition as I can pack into them and there will be some yummy better for you sweet treats as well I love that I can't wait to see it and for anyone who's listening um, Charlotte's contact details are in the um, description here of the podcast um, and we were also working on some great content together so exciting times and look forward to doing more with you Charlotte yeah absolutely thank you for having me today Thank you so much.